We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. IB Nation, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It's Tuesday, August 8th. Notre Dame is getting ready to believe I have practice 12 tonight. Uh, we'll be in attendance, so I'm very excited about that. Thought today would be a good day to cover a couple topics. Obviously, you've got some top 25 rankings coming out. Wanted to talk about that. Wanted to talk about uh, my rankings. Finally was able to get my IB Top 25 done. Have an article coming out uh, on that here coming up soon. But I'm going to obviously go over that with you all today. I'm going to release my Top 25 and do what I think we all wish people would do when they do a Top 25, which is talk about it and explain why you voted for what you voted. I'll explain what my Top 25 is. And then at the end, we're going to talk a little Notre Dame recruiting. And the premise of today's recruiting topic is basically – you know, there's a lot of angst about this 2024 recruiting class. Notre Dame has done some really good things. There's some areas where maybe people are a little bit concerned. But when you talk to to certain people around the program, obviously their their view is different. And, and not it, that's always going to be true, right? Like staffs aren't saying like, oh, we took a bunch of bad players. But the premise is going to be we're going to learn a ton about this coaching staff from an evaluation process with how this 24 class turns out. And I'm going to talk about – you know, just kind of why that is and some of my thoughts on it. And, and the same is true for myself. I think, you know, this is a chat, a class that's going to challenge me and is whether or not I, you know, I'm good at evaluating players in certain situations and certain positions and, and things like that. And so you put your reputation on the line and you see how kids pan out and we'll talk about those players and what that means today. And I was able to start some questions for the, uh, the mailbag. Obviously I'm going to be doing a solo show today. So it's going to be very, very hard for me to star shows once star things once the show starts so uh we'll, we'll I'll do my best uh but since today's not your typical Wednesday rundown I'm going to try and do my best to still have a mailbag at the end so it just it'll be a little different when one person's doing it I see a lot of people down there talking about the hat I got on today this is a new hat I actually was at the Notre Dame bookstore on Sunday uh, my after my wife and I went to lunch we went to we went to the bookstore. We we hadn't bought the shirts for the year yet. She always likes to buy those. So I bought those for uh, Ange and I, and we got some for my mom and dad for when they come in town. 
And then I wanted to check out the new hat store. I was actually surprised. The bookstore has a completely different different layout. When you used to walk in, you'd go to the left and the hats would be like way in the back. They're now sort of in the center where they used to have like a lot of the antique stuff on the first floor. So they had a lot of new hats. I, in the be honest with you, in the past, I haven't really liked the Notre Dame's hats to be completely, completely real with you. And just, they didn't fit well. They didn't look good. I wanted to buy more than two. I ended up buying two hats yesterday. I wanted to buy more, but I had to, you know, okay, can't got to can't go crazy, right? Because obviously it's a little expensive in the bookstore. So if you like this hat and you want a hat like this, you can actually get it at the Notre Dame bookstore, the Hammers bookstore. So I don't know if it's online or not. I got it in the bookstore. So this is not something that we sell in the Irish Breakdown store. I wish we could sell hats like this. Like we have trucker hats, but it doesn't look like this. And we have obviously the IB hats, but the uh, lo- logo looks a little bit different. So that's what I got rocking on today. So I got Got some new gear. Angela got some new gear. We got some stuff for the dogs. Angela wanted to get them new bandanas. She always puts bandanas on them, Notre Dame bandanas on them during football season. So, We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. But I want to talk about Notre Dame and the top 25. That's going to be topic number one today. And it's not going to be so much a criticism of other people's top 25s. I just want to kind of talk about the top 25 and talk about, you know, some of the concerns that people have, some of the rankings that certain people have for certain teams and and get into, you know, I'll share some thoughts on certain teams, but I'll, uh, some of that I'm going to say for the end of the show. And and I, as I look through it, my rankings for a lot of schools aren't that far off. Notre Dame, my ranking for Notre Dame is off with some people, but not by a ton. There's a couple schools that a lot of people have ranked in the top 25 that I just don't. I'll get into some of that. But, you know, first I wanted to dive into to where Notre Dame is right now in the top 25. And when you look at the preseason polls, I did say something yesterday that the last time Notre Dame was ranked number 13 in the coaches poll was 1988. That was incorrect. I had the AP in the coaches' polls that year's uh, that that year backwards. It was actually twelfth in the coaches' poll and thirteenth in the AP poll. So I had those backwards, but uh, the, the the ranking is close. And the point stands, which is I think when you look at a team that begins the season ranked at a certain spot, you think, well, 
you know, is that team really a, a, a championship contender? And, and my whole point is, and this is a kind of a conversation that I had with a, a buddy of mine last night, and this is what kind of prompted me to want to talk about this show. And, you know, he was convincing me that, you know, Michigan is going to beat Ohio State this year based on what they've done in, in recent seasons. And then when I told him that the team I was most concerned about this season was Clemson, he thought I was nuts. And so I kind of pushed back a little bit. I was like, well, you know, you, you got to pick a lane, man. You can't tell me that Ohio State's going to get beat by Michigan because of what happened the last two years, but then tell me I'm nuts for being concerned about Clemson when Notre Dame stomped Clemson last year. So, you know, last season doesn't matter a ton when it comes to predicting what's going to happen at the end of the season. I do, however, think that what happened last year does need to have a bigger say in where you start the top 25. There has to be some sort of foundation for a, a starting point. And I think what can happen when you get too much into pro, pro, projection is you can lose sight of, you know, really just what a team can be, right? And and you can also lose sight of history. And I know that we always look at like Alabama started, you know, seasons ranked high and all those type of things. But at the end of the day, I mean – we've seen plenty of teams either start high or and drop and then come back up or teams that start low and come back up. Obviously Notre Dame. And as I mentioned before, the last time Notre Dame won a national championship, they started 12th and 13th in the AP, the coaches and AP poll respectively in 2012, Notre Dame started the season unranked in the AP poll uh, at, you know, completely unranked and obviously went, went 12 and 0. And we've certainly seen that from Notre Dame in, in, in plenty of years where Notre Dame is, is not ranked very high. And ends up being a pretty good football team, and but I do I do think that when you're looking at a top 25, a preseason top 25, I do tend to put a little bit more emphasis on on what happened because that's the only really knowns that we know, right? Like we know what certain players can do, we know of a school's track record for producing at certain positions. So you may say, hey this particular team loses their quarterback and so they should be this or they should be that. But then you got to look at the history of how has this team overcome quarterback losses in the past? Has it been a good thing for them, a negative thing for them? So I think there's a lot of aspects you have to look at recent history being bring one. And I think that should carry as much, if not more weight on projection for what a team can be. And you'll see that reflected in, in my ranking as well. And so when you, when you get into the conversation about where Notre Dame is ranked in the preseason top 25 and where they should be ranked, I, I think that has to be taken into consideration because Notre Dame does still have a lot to prove this season. I just tend to think this team is going to be a lot better than, than a lot of people think that it's going to be, but we'll find out how that's going to play out. So where is Notre Dame in the preseason top 25 right now, and, and where should they be? The AP poll does not come out until Monday. So we won't know what the AP ranking is until Monday, but we did see Notre Dame obviously finish, uh, come out ranked in the coaches poll yesterday. And when I got a chance to, to look at the coaches poll, you know, I don't really put, a, to be honest with you, I don't put as much stock in the coaches poll as I do the AP poll because we we know, kind of know how the coaches poll goes. It, it, you know, maybe it's some coaches, other teams, it's not. I didn't have necessarily any any huge disagreements with it outside of maybe a few teams. I, I think Oklahoma being in it is is I just don't get the Oklahoma infatuation. Texas A&M being a top 25 team, I didn't understand that. I can understand why other teams are ranked where they are. And then you look at where Notre Dame is at number 13. The only really big beef that I had, I mean, there's teams that are ahead of Notre Dame in the AP or in the coaches poll that I have behind Notre Dame. However, 
there's really only one team that I just emphatically would say, no, that team should not be ahead of Notre Dame. And that's Texas. But I only have Texas a couple spots below Notre Dame. A little bit of a tease on that one. So I think the 13 ranking for Notre Dame in the coaches poll is fair. I don't have a, a big issue with it. It's lower than what I would have them, but it's in that range. I, I will say this, though. It's the bottom of the range. I think when when you look at Notre Dame's preseason range, I think it's, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth on this. I've broadened it a little bit. To me, it's anywhere between 9 and 13, maybe 8 and 13. I think 8 would be a little, 8 would be a little bit too much projection on what I think a top 25 should be. I think eight, you could argue, I should say, could be a little bit more projection, depending on how much projection you should put in your polls. But the thing that I'll say is, is for people who will say Notre Dame shouldn't be eighth because of the there's too much projection, then I would say, well, then you can't have Texas ahead of them at all, right? That's just not a, th- a thing that you can do. And so there's a lot of aspects that go into it. But I think the coaches poll at 13 yesterday, to me, would be the bottom of where Notre Dame should be in the top 25. Phil Steele had Notre Dame 10th. That's a very fair ranking. Lindy's is preseason magazine had Notre Dame 12th. Athlon had them 14th, which I think is a little bit too low. And you look at, uh, I'm going to kind of go through that poll as well, go through some of these and, and discuss just some of the the top 25 rankings that I thought were, were, were okay, I understand where you're coming from, but that team should not be there. You look at, uh, as I said, Athlon was 14. And then the one that surprised me, honestly, is Joel Klatt came out with his top 25 yesterday. And he had Notre Dame 18th. And that surprised me because I, I, I've always kind of liked Joel Klatt. I still do. I mean, this ranking doesn't change where I what I think of Joel Klatt. I just think he's wrong. But when I, when I, when I talk about them, uh, when, I, when, when he talked about them, I, you know, it, it's really – it was really a – bit of a head scratcher to be honest with you you know he talked about a wait and see for Michael or for Marcus Freeman which which I think is fair this is what Joel Klatt said yesterday he said Notre Dame I could easily put them higher I love their offensive line I think Sam Hartman is going to be better for them I just question them losing their offensive coordinator Tommy Reese and they lose Michael Mayer who was just a huge part of their offense fair on the latter part with Marcus Freeman, I'll be honest, he is a wait and see for me in terms of whether this is going to work at Notre Dame. Their offensive line is going to keep them in games, and I think that's going to be a hard matchup against Ohio State, similar to similar why Ohio State doesn't get upgrade against Michigan. If I was Notre Dame, I would line up with that offensive line and go right at Ohio State in that matchup in September. Hartman is a big addition for them at quarterback. So I don't see anything out of line with what Joel Klatt said there. But here's my problem. How are you going to have that and then say this? This is what he has about Oklahoma. Now, keep in mind, Notre Dame went 9-4 and four last year, beat, let me think, five teams, I believe. Let me look at Notre Dame's record real quick. I believe it was five teams that Notre Dame beat when they were ranked at the time last season. Uh, so Notre Dame beat, I believe, North Carolina was ranked when they played. I believe, let me just pull up their their uh, season from last year. So Notre Dame beat North Carolina at North Carolina. They were not ranked yet. They beat BYU, okay? So they beat BYU when they were ranked. They beat Syracuse when they were ranked. They beat Clemson when they were ranked. And they beat South Carolina when they were ranked. So I was incorrect on North Carolina. Now, North Carolina eventually jumped in the top 25. They were not ranked when Notre Dame beat them. They eventually climbed up to, because I believe they won like nine of their first 10 games. 
They eventually climbed up all the way to number 13 in November before losing their, their last four games of the season and falling out. So Notre Dame won four games against top 25 teams last year. And that includes, obviously, as I said, BYU. Number four, Clemson, who they beat by 21. The, it includes number 16, Syracuse, who they beat at by 17. It includes number 19, South Carolina, a game that Notre Dame won by a touchdown. And then two of their four losses were clearly were to top five, top 10 teams in Ohio State and USC. Yes, Notre Dame had two bad losses. Don't dispute that. But how are you going to look at a team that finished the season – with the, with the way that Notre Dame did and say that Marcus Freeman is a big question mark for you, which th- that part doesn't necessarily bother me. It's that this is what he says about Oklahoma. He says they were 0-5 in one-score games. I think that turns around. When you look at the two games they lost by significant margins, their QB, Dylan Gabriel, was not in those games. If he can stay healthy, they should be better. The defense under Brent Venable should be better. They have recruited much better. Everything about this says this is another wait and see, which he says about Notre Dame. They are their biggest competition for Texas. This is a sleeper team for me. All those one-score losses that can easily be turned around, they can easily be a 10-win team and play for the Big Ten Championship. Now, I, I don't necessarily say that what he – I don't necessarily want to say that what he's saying is just nuts, but the the point for me is – who were some of those those one score loss games too? He acts like they lost to a bunch of teams that were really good. You know, I could sit there and say, well, you know, Notre Dame led Ohio State for more than Ohio State led Notre Dame. But here, here's the thing that's kind of where I just don't agree with that line of thinking. So he talks about they lost they lost a bunch of one score games. They lost by a touchdown to Kansas State. Did any of you guys watch that game last season? Did you watch the Kansas State Oklahoma game? For him to say that they just lost by a score, I think is a little bit disingenuous to me. I mean, they scored with 30 seconds left to make it a two-point game. I mean, at one point in time in the fourth quarter, Texas, Kansas State had a 14-point lead. Oklahoma scored to make it a seven, and then Kansas State went back on top. That wasn't really a game that you could look at and say, boy, if a play here or a play there goes different, that that they're going to win that game. I, I just I just don't buy that. You know, I, I think when you look at Oklahoma, they 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 uh, – got blown out by TCU. They got blown out by Texas. He talks about if Dylan Gabriel would have played, they would have been better. They give up 55 and 49 points. Dylan Gabriel is not the reason they gave up over 100 points in those two games. Talk about losing. To, they lost to Baylor at home. They lost to West Virginia on the road. They lost to Texas Tech in overtime, and they lost to Florida State. Now, the Florida State game to me is a, is a good loss. That's a good football team. But you lost to a Baylor team last year that had a a six and seven record. You lost to them at home. Let's not act like you were this juggernaut team that almost beat some other really good teams. And so, and the other problem that I have is just sort of the double standard that you have two guys apart. How is Brent Venables any more of a proven coach than Marcus Freeman? You could say he is as a defensive coordinator. But if anything, if you look at the last two years, Marcus Freeman has conducted himself in a far more head coach style of manner then Brent Venables, who's constantly stepping on his toe with comments. And I wanted to say something even more harsh in that comment, you know, to sit there and act as if, you know, Notre Dame, who was competitive against Ohio State, competitive against USC with a bunch of starters out, like there's no comment of, hey, Notre Dame lost to USC by 11. They had two bad turnovers, but hey, they were missing their best cornerback in Cam Hart. They were missing a nickel who was really good in Tariq Bracey. There's no excuses for that one, right? And they had Dylan Gabriel when they lost to Baylor. They had Dylan Gabriel when they lost to Texas Tech. I'm pretty sure that that's correct. 
I'm gonna pull up his game his game log here real quick, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he played against Texas Tech and they lost. He played against West Virginia and they lost. He played against Baylor and they lost. He threw three interceptions. So and and then he played against Kansas State and they lost. So this notion that oh well they just would have you know been much better in those games if they had Dylan Gabriel to me doesn't speak anything. And so you look at the head coach experience and it's the same. You can, you can talk to me all you want about D coordinator experience, but that's irrelevant. It's absolutely relevant about how you're going to do as a head coach. And when you look at how Brent Venables has conducted himself at Oklahoma, you look at how his team last season fell apart. You look at how his team starts to get kind of get things turned around. They lose three games in a row and you say, Hey, they lost their quarterback. They're three and three. They bounce back with a nice win over Kansas. Okay, great. They bounce back with a win over a bad Iowa State team. Okay, maybe he's turning the corner. And then they lose four and f- four or five. Marcus Freeman, on the other hand, has the really bad loss to Stanford. And then what, is, what does Notre Dame do? They come back the next week and they beat UNLV convincingly. They, they convincingly beat on the road a ranked Syracuse team. They then come back home and blow out a top five Clemson team. Then they beat Navy. Then they blow out Boston College. So one team finished one team with a first year head coach finishes the year extremely well. The other team with a first year head coach utterly implodes down the stretch. Coach is constantly making stupid remarks. And I just don't understand how people say, well, because of whatever reason he was this as a coach or that as a coach, that's irrelevant. It has nothing to do with what you do as a as a head football coach. And there's zero evidence so far that 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 Brent Venables has done anything to be better than Marcus Freeman. So I think there's there's what that shows is is someone like Joel Klatt, who I respect, who I think is a very knowledgeable football guy. There's still sort of this bias that comes in with certain teams. You're still living on Oklahoma as if they were what they were under Lincoln Riley with Brent Venables, even though there's no evidence that Brent Venables has shown you had a losing record in his first season. I'm going to remind you all again, lost to Baylor who had a losing record, lost to West Virginia, who didn't even make a bowl game, lost a a Texas Tech team that I actually like. I think Texas Tech has turned things around, but it's still Texas Tech. And then, as we said, lost in a bowl game. I mean, West Virginia last year went five and seven. And a week before, get this, a week before they beat Oklahoma, they they lost at Iowa State 31 to 14. Iowa State finished four and eight last year. They also, two weeks before that, lost to Texas Tech 48-10. to They lost by 18 to Texas, and they got beat by Pitt in the opener. And then a week after beating Oklahoma, they get smacked by Kansas State 48-31. to and, and so this is the team that beat Oklahoma. But I'm supposed to believe that because of something having to do with what he did in a coaching role that has nothing to do with the role that he has now, that all of a sudden he's going to – I should give him the benefit of the doubt. I just don't see how that makes any sense. And again, you're going to, I'm looking at this and, and there's an assumption that Dylan Gabriel is going to be to do for them and answer questions for them that he's not willing to go full out on Sam Hartman. Now he'll say Sam Hartman's a big addition, but then there's all these reasons why Notre Dame who went won nine games last year should be ranked behind Oklahoma who won 16 games. You know, again, we can make a t- case for Texas, Texas. I'm actually okay with them being higher than, than, where he has it, I would not put them ahead of Notre Dame. But I do believe Texas has at least shown enough to say, hey, they're, they're that team that could maybe 
put it all together this year in a way that I also expect Notre Dame to be able to put together. So I'm actually not as down on the, the high Texas rankings as, as other people have done. So, you know, when I, when I look at that, to me, there's just no reason for Notre Dame to be there. And somebody just asked how would Notre Dame do with, have done with Oklahoma, with Oklahoma's schedule last year? I, I, I have no idea. We don't know what they would have done. We don't know how Notre Dame would have developed early in the season if they would have been able to start the season off with UTEP, Kent State, and Nebraska instead of Ohio State and Marshall. I can tell you this, with UTEP and Kent State at the beginning, Notre Dame's 2-0 to start the season, right? And that's kind of how long it took Notre Dame to kind of get going. So I think Notre Dame would have been better than 9-4, and but I can't tell you that. I have no clue. We can't project that. What I do know is that last year, Notre Dame beat four teams that were ranked when they played. Four. Oklahoma beat two. Oklahoma lost seven games last year. And two of them, one of them was to a team that was ranked at the time. Now, that's a little bit of an unfair statement if I don't put context in it. Because one of the teams they lost to is TCU. And obviously, TCU finished as a really good football team. But they were unranked when they played. Should should not necessarily count against them. Or shouldn't count against them at all because TCU ended up being a really good football team. And lost to Kansas State. It was a quality football team. But they lost to everybody good that they played, if we're going to really be honest about it. The only two, quote-unquote, good wins that they had were Kansas and Oklahoma State. That was their two best wins. Whereas Notre Dame beat Clemson, North Carolina, BYU, South Carolina, and Syracuse. So I think that's sort of the thing that I'm seeing with a lot of these these rankings of Notre Dame that have Notre Dame a little lower is they're holding Notre Dame to to meet to a different standard. And that's really the only time I have an issue with the ranking. It's not so much that I that I have an issue with Joel Klatt having Notre Dame 18th. It's when I read through his ranking, there are certain double standards that are in play for Notre Dame, it would seem to me, than maybe for other teams. And I think that's an issue that that I have. I mean, if you talk about Oklahoma being 0 and 5 and one score games, let's not pretend that two of Notre let's not forget that two of Notre Dame's four losses were also one score games. And and you know, Oklahoma lost a lot of those one-score games with Dylan Gabriel, the quarterback they have coming back. Notre Dame lost those those games with Tyler Buckner or Drew Pine. So it's a completely different situation, in my opinion. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. I think Phil Steele, to me, is, is from what I have seen, is the most optimistic of Notre Dame. He has them 10th in his ranking. And as you guys will find out when I get to my ranking, that's kind of similar. That's very, very similar to where I have Notre Dame. So I think when we look at the AP Top 25, I'm very curious to see what that's going to be. I I, I want I think that's a record that – that's a ranking that I, I – I don't say I put credence in because I think all, all preseason rankings don't really mean a whole lot. But they are – they're interesting discussion points. 
And where we have to understand is they create narratives. Whether you like it or not, they, they create narratives. So, for example, when you look at Notre Dame's 2022 schedule, you know, th- there's, there's merit to an NC State being ranked, for example, if you're talking about narratives. If NC State's not ranked and you go on the road and you beat them, there's not that same perception. I, I look at Brian Kelly's career, right? And there's this, there's this notion that Brian Kelly didn't win big games, and it's a notion built on fact. He didn't win big games. Whether you look at games against top 15 teams when they played, games against top 15 teams, but there's this thing about, well, they, didn't, they, they only won X number of top 10 games. And, and I'll point out and I say, well, but one game that we don't have in that is the Michigan State game, 2013. Well, Michigan State was unranked at the time that Notre Dame beat them. They finished 13th and 13 and one and ranked, I think third in the polls. So the, the narrative of that win doesn't quite carry the same weight as it, as for example, a year before the Oklahoma game, there's a lot of people that will chalk up that Oklahoma game as the biggest win of Brian Kelly's career. I don't agree. I think he had other bigger wins. I think the Michigan state game a year later was a bigger win, but the perception is, that the the Oklahoma game was bigger because A, it was on the road, which is fair, and then B, it was a bigger, quote-unquote, program. It's a blue blood, borderline blue blood. I think Oklahoma's a blue blood, and and so I think there's that. And then the third factor is, is Oklahoma was ranked in the top five, I believe, or they were eight, fifth or eighth. I forget uh, what oh, – let me, let me go look real quick, see what Notre Dame's ranking was or Oklahoma's ranking was that year. Uh, that Notre Dame beat them. I think it was, it was a five versus eight matchup. I just can't remember which team was five. Notre Dame was five. Oklahoma was eight. So it was a five versus eight matchup. And when you look at it, you say, hey, that was a big win, no doubt. But to me, that wasn't a bigger win than the game the year later against Michigan State, who finished 13-1, and one, beat Ohio State, and obviously uh, was a team that finished ranked third. But the perception is different. So that's why I do think polls – Polls matter in that regard. Polls don't matter from the standpoint of it really does not matter what Notre Dame's preseason ranking is when it comes to where will they be ranked when the college football playoff rankings come out. I don't think polls have any bearing. A lot of people have have, have still kind of get into the notion of they have an impact on the committee. I don't think there's any evidence. I don't. I haven't seen any evidence that that's, that that's true. If anything, we see ESPN losing their minds almost every time we get into these shows because there's some team that they I – I think the biggest one was like BYU a couple years ago. I think it might have been 2020 when BYU was not ranked very high and they lost their minds and it was just – the co- committee members, like they didn't play, haven't played anybody. And so to me, I, I think that doesn't impact it, but the narrative of your season is impacted – I think it can impact the, the the where your players are from an attitude standpoint. When you have a win over a team that's ranked a certain place, it can it can say, "Hey, look, you are that good." When you beat a team that's maybe unranked, that you and I, us talking, may say, "Hey, that's a really good football team." Then you you look at it and say, "Hey, you know, they may not realize how big of a win that is." There's all types of reasons why rankings early in the season matter. So I, I do think it's worthy of discussion even though at the end of the day, it's not going to have any impact on on where Notre Dame is when it comes to the college football playoff. And that's a, a part of it. So I think when what's interesting, however, is when you do look at some of Notre Dame's better teams over the years, you'll find that a lot of those teams did finish, the, did start the season not ranked super high. I've mentioned this before. The 1988 team uh, began the year ranked 13th in the AP poll, quickly climbed up. They were number five by the fourth game of the year because they beat number nine Michigan in the opener. 
then beat Michigan State and Purdue, and were number one by November 5th. What's interesting is Notre Dame still didn't jump up to number one after beating Miami. They went to number two, and they were number two the next two weeks. And I, I believe Florida State was number one. I'd have to go back and look at that. But they climbed up to number one for their November 5th game against Rice. And then, of course, held on to that record after beating number two USC in the last game of the regular season and then number three West Virginia. Obviously, 1989, Notre Dame was uh, preseason number two. They stayed in the top five all season, never dropped lower than fourth. That was where they uh, they were for the bowl game against Colorado. They were four. Colorado was one. And then they finished the season number two in the AP poll. Uh, the next season, Notre Dame came out. They were preseason number one, uh, finished the year ranked number six after losing the Colorado Bowl game. The next season, Notre Dame was number seven. So that obviously got into Notre Dame's run of having really good teams. They were preseason number three in 1992. And then in 1993, they were preseason number seven. And so that kind of was uh, was the beginning of the end for the, for the Lou Holtz era for Notre Dame. And then you fast forward the next time that Notre Dame had a some really good teams. You look at uh, Bob Davies, 2000 team that finished top in the top 15. That was a team that fin- that began the season unranked, uh, jumped quickly up when they beat Nebraska uh, or excuse me, a Texas A&M in the opener, number 25 A&M that jumped them to the top 25. Then they had that great overtime loss to, to Nebraska, which allowed them to jump up to 21. Then they beat number 13 Purdue and they stayed in the top 25 all season, climbed as high as 10th. Uh, they were 10th when they played uh, number five Oregon State. So, But that was the team that began the, the year unranked. Two years later, Ty Willingham's first season, Notre Dame begins the season unranked. They beat number 21 Maryland, 22 to nothing uh, in the first game. That jumped them in the top 25. They stayed there all year, climbed as high as number four. Be after That was after beating number 11 Florida State on the road. And uh, then, of course, that very next week, they promptly lost to Boston College and finished the season ranked 17th. We look at the 2005 season under Charlie Weiss, a year that Notre Dame finished in the top 10. Again, another year they finished, or they started the season out of the top 25. They beat number 23 Pitt on the road in the opener, 42-21, then went on the road to beat number three Michigan. Then, of course, that that they were numbered, that jumped them up to number 10. They lost to Michigan State. That dropped them to 16. They climbed all the way back up to nine after wins at Washington and at Purdue. Uh, and then Purdue that year, I didn't realize, was ranked when Notre Dame smacked them in West Lafayette. Of course, played number one USC down to the wire, stayed at number nine, climbed all the way up to number six. They did that twice. They were six against Syracuse, fell down to eight, and then climbed back up to six when they played Ohio State and finished the season ranked ninth in the coaches' poll. So we've seen this several times. Of course, I pointed out in 2012 under Brian Kelly. It was a year that Notre Dame finished the season uh, unranked, or excuse me, began the season unranked, quickly jumped in the top 25 after a 50-10 to beatdown of Navy to start the season in Ireland. A buddy of mine was like, I, I just felt he had a bad omen about playing you know, Navy in Ireland. And I just pointed out that the last time that Notre Dame played Navy in Ireland, they went 12-0 and and played for the national championship. Uh, Notre Dame in 2015, that team that was really good, began the season ranked 11th, finished ranked 11th. So that was one of those ones where they, uh, they weren't as good. 2017, Notre Dame began the season unranked, jumped into number 24, lost to Georgia, Spent the next two weeks unranked, beat pounded Boston College, pounded Michigan State. That jumped them into the, the number 22 spot. So Notre Dame that year was ranked 22nd in the AP poll as late as September 30th. But by November 11th, they were all the way up to number three. as They beat number 11 USC by 35, beat number 14 NC State by 21, beat Wake Forest, pounded Miami of Ohio, pounded Michigan State, pounded North Carolina. And then, of course, lost to Miami, dropped down to eight. Stayed at eight, lost to Stanford. That dropped them down to 14, and they finished the year ranked 11th. 
uh, the year that Notre Dame was a co- first time Notre Dame made the college football playoff, which is kind of interesting. It's a similar ranking now. Notre Dame finished that year number five, uh, made the college football playoff, and they started the season ranked 12th, which is very similar to where they are now in the preseason top 25. In the 2020 season, the last time that Notre Dame made the college football playoff, again, they were, began the season in the top 10, ranked 10th, stayed in the top 10 all year, climbed up as high as number two, uh, which they were in the college football playoff and then lost, or excuse me, the ACC championship, lost to Clemson. That dropped them down to number four. Losing to Bama dropped them down to number five. So we have seen Notre Dame have this kind of preseason pedigree before, you know, 10 to 12. They've had good seasons at times. There's other years that they've been ranked this high going into the season or similar in ranking, and the season didn't go as expected. If you remember the 2011 team that finished the, the season 4-0, ranked 16th in the preseason top 25 and of course they lost to south florida and were never never ranked again until november 19th when they uh after beating maryland they jumped up to 24 uh, for the bc you know the bc game won that game 16 to 14 the next week they were 22nd lost to stanford and they dropped out and finished out of the top 25 the 2013 season notre dame began the season ranked 14th went nine and four and finished 20th so we have seen this before where Notre Dame started a season well. Uh, obviously, you remember the 2014 season. They started 17th, climbed all the way up to 5th before their late season collapse that season as well. So we're going to find out which direction Notre Dame goes. As I said earlier, I think the rankings are mostly fair, even though I don't necessarily agree with all of them. I just think some of the standards that some people use to apply to, to come up to their rankings are uh, just a little bit misguided, in my opinion. But uh, I think that the, the Joel Klatt one was the one I had probably the biggest issue with. And, and again, that's someone who I respect a lot. I, I enjoy listening to Joel Klatt. I, I've heard people say that there's a bit of a Big Ten, Big 12 bias in his ranking, which I think is a fair criticism. Now, whether that's intentional or not, because my whole thing is Utah sometimes can have a bias that's not intentional. And I, and I don't, Joel Klatt's never struck me as a disingenuous person. I just think sometimes when you cover a team, a conference, you see that team more and more and more and more. So you you know their ins and outs. You may see, hey, this is a talented team that maybe didn't live up to expectations. And kind of like how we are with Notre Dame, sometimes we say, look, I understand why the outside world doesn't think as highly of Notre Dame, but I, I've been around this team. I've been around other Notre Dame teams. This team has the look of something or you know, good or bad, whatever the case may be. You know, He is a guy that is around these teams a lot. And I think if there is a bias, I don't believe it's intentional. I just think it's it's he sees these Big 12 and Big 10 teams a lot. And and that can lead to maybe putting a little bit more stock in those leagues than you otherwise would. But I, I don't I don't view it at all to be something where he's intentionally overhyping Big 10 or Pac-12 team or Big 12 teams because he happens to cover the league. I don't I, I've never gotten that impression from Joel from Joel Klatt. So that's my quick overview of the top 25 and where Notre Dame is. I think the questions that people have of Notre Dame and and the reasons that it would be fair to have them a little lower, you know, 10 to 15, obviously there's a lot of new faces and some important positions. I've heard people say Notre Dame lost a lot this offseason. I don't think they lost a lot. I think they lost a few important pieces. Obviously you lost Matt Bayless right before the year. You lost Tommy Reese. You lost Harry Heastan, which was a big one. You replace them with you know guys, some we know, some we don't. 
You look at the wide receiver tight end. There's a lot of people that look at that as a reason to be concerned because it's not a proven group. It's fair to say that it's proven. I just think that history has shown that it doesn't really matter if you're proven or not at that position. It's just not a position where there's a, a requirement for experience the way that it is at other positions. I've pointed this out time and time and time again, even when it comes to Notre Dame. I mean, when you look at Notre Dame's 2014 receiving core, which was pretty good, Will Fuller had 1,000 yards. That was the best year that Corey Robinson had. He had over 500 yards. Chris Brown had over 500 yards. C.J. Procise had over 500 yards. The year before, Chris Brown was your leading returning receiver with 15 catches for 209 yards. That was your leading com- coming back receiver because you lost T.J. Jones at graduation. Troy Nicholas went pro. And then DeVars Daniels got kicked off the team. So your top two pass catchers were Chris Brown with 15 catches for 209 yards and Ben Koyak with 10 for 171. Will Fuller only had six catches the year before. Corey Robinson only had nine. C.J. Proceis had seven. So you look at – you had four receivers that next year that had over 500 yards. Proceis, Robinson, Brown, and Fuller. And obviously Fuller went over 1,000. But if you actually look at their numbers of what they did the year before – the, it wasn't overly impressive. So if you look at, you've got the 209 for Chris Brown, the 160 for Will, for Will Fuller, the 157 for Corey Robinson, and then the 72 for C.J. Procise. You had 598 receiving yards coming back that next season from your lineup of, of guys of what they've done before. And then, of course, Will Fuller almost doubles that by himself. If you look at this Notre Dame receiving core and what it has coming back from last season, the production is more impactful. So you have 361 yards from Jaden Thomas. You have 192 from Deion Colsey. That gets you to 553 just, just with them. Then you have 138 from Chris Tyree. You have 62 from Matt Salerno. Uh, and you have 41 to, from Tobias Merriweather. And that's just the that's just the receivers. That's 794, right? What did I say, like 598 for the other receiving core? So we've seen this before where Notre Dame has had a group that wasn't overly experienced, and then the next year they came out and were, were a pretty productive football players and pretty productive football teams. I think Miles Boykin had 18 career catches coming into his senior year when he broke out in 2018. So it's really going to come down to the experience doesn't matter. It's going to be, is the talent there? And do they have the demeanor and the attitudes that you need to go out there and, and be impactful? I think another reason is, is quarterback depth. I think that's a very fair reason to be concerned about the season if something happens to Sam Hartman. And I think Notre Dame fans are probably a little bit more nervous about that than other fan bases just from experience. Obviously, last season, Tyler Buckner goes down. We saw Jack Cohn get hurt against Wisconsin in 2021. We saw Ian Book get knocked out in 2000 and, and, uh, was it 2018. He has to miss a couple games or missed a game against Northwestern. So he had to go on the road, play a ranked team without your starting quarterback. Obviously, we saw Malik Zaire go down with a season-ending injury in 2017. We saw um, we saw Tommy Reese miss a game as the starting quarterback in 2013. You had to go or again miss a game. He got knocked out of a game against USC. You go to Andrew Hendricks and your offense can do nothing. Year before, Everett Golson gets knocked out of a game. Uh, against Stanford, Tommy Reese has to come in, win you that game, come from behind. No, no, come from behind, but you know, led you to that touchdown in overtime. Then he next game with Ever Golson out, he leads you to a win over BYU. And then, of course, in 2010, Dane Chris gets knocked out against Tulsa for the season, and Tommy Reese has to step into his into his place. So we've seen a lot of situations where quarterbacks in Notre Dame had to step up, either as starters uh, for the for a period of time, a game, 
or have to come off the bench. And even you could even uh, add another game in 2021 because, you know, obviously you started Jack Cohn and then he ha- he was ineffective. You brought in Tyler Buckner. He gets hurt and Jack Cohn has to come back in. So you needed two quarterbacks to win that game. Does Notre Dame have two quarterbacks that can win you games this year? Remains to be seen. And I don't know that we have an answer to that. We've got to still see how camp plays out. And I, and I think the defensive line is another area where people are, are have an understandable concern about Notre Dame, and it's a bit of a question mark. And, and we'll find out if, if they're able to answer the bell. But I think that's a fair concern for people to have. And I, I still have some, especially at the big end position. Reasons to be high on Notre Dame. And this is this is where I don't think enough people are giving Notre Dame credit, to be completely honest with you is I, I see a lot of rankings for teams, and, and what people will point to is, well, you, you look how well this team finished. This team finished very strong. They won X number of games down the stretch. They did this. They did that. And then you look at Notre Dame and you say, well, why doesn't Notre Dame get that same benefit of the doubt? And you look at the way that Notre Dame finished the season, obviously 6-1, and one, beat, four, beat three ranked teams that were ranked when they played. Syracuse was ranked. Clemson was ranked. South Carolina was ranked. So in that 6-0 and stretch, you go 3-1 and against ranked opponents. To me, that should give people say, hey, we saw Marcus Freeman bounce back from bad losses, have similar games later, not lose those games, because Navy game kind of reminded me of the Stanford and, and Marshall game where you're, you're just not making enough plays to win, but they did that game. They made enough plays to win that game. And then to have your team go into a bowl game, you're missing your two best players and you're missing some you, – actually, you could argue you're missing your two best players on defense because I still believe Cam Hart was Notre Dame's best corner last year. Will he be this year? Find out. But for the entirety of the season, and he was playing very good football when he went down against BC, and you don't have him against, against South Carolina. So there's a lot of different aspects of this where you could say that finish should give you reason for optimism coming into 2023 – optimism enough to say that Notre Dame's a playoff team no I think that there's other things that have to happen but optimism enough to say hey look they can go out there and beat really good football teams go on the road and win football games right so they played a bowl game against South Carolina one but then they went on the road to beat uh, to to beat uh, a, a good Syracuse team and part of the reason Syracuse collapsed down the stretch is because of what Notre Dame did to them Notre Dame just physically beat them up they played back-to-back really physical games against Clemson and Notre Dame and they were just beat up. They weren't the same team after that. And, and set, the quarterback wasn't right and a lot of other aspects of it. So I think when I look at it, that's a good one. I think the overall talent of this football team is something that even Notre Dame fans, I think, are sleeping on a little bit. Now, the, the, there's a question of will that talent equal production? Find out. But this is one of the more athletic, talented teams that Notre Dame has had in a very long time, in my opinion. I really believe that. I'm not saying that guarantees equal that production because I've told you all a million times, potential doesn't equal production. It just means that's your talent level. You got to turn that talent into production. And then, of course, the last reason for me to be optimistic is the presence of Sam Hartman. You're talking about a guy that won 19 games at Wake Forest the last couple of years. He won 11 games and went to the ACC title game in 2021 with a defense that gave up 29 points a game and really not much of a run game to speak of. You think about, boy, if you put him with what Notre Dame has, I think that's a reason that people can be excited. So certainly a lot of reasons to think that Notre Dame can outplay their ranking. Uh, certainly understandable questions as to that you can make you kind of understand, be some, somewhat sympathetic to where Notre Dame is ranked. They do have a lot to prove this year. There's no doubt about it.